and welcome back to the Rare Birds podcast. I'm going to hand it over to Heather now so she can introduce our guests and give us a little bit of a wrap up of where we are now with our series. Hi, Heather. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, it's so nice to be with you guys again, and I'm really excited for this last episode. So, so far, we've intrud- uh, interviewed four different entrepreneurs in different parts of Africa, uh, and almost all of them are in the e-commerce space, which is like super interesting. So today we have Nana from Ghana, who's working for, uh, who's uh, who started the Grow For Me as an agriculture tech company and she uh, he has also been through a series of different ventures uh, in fintech uh, so I'm definitely very excited to hear from him uh, so Nana would you like to introduce yourself to the audience and maybe fill in like with more details yes um, thanks so much for this opportunity once again um, thank you for making time for this conversation and um, my name is Nana, and basically I'm a serial tech entrepreneur. I think uh, um, there's many opportunities in West Africa and Africa as a whole because of our developing economies. And I tend to try and see opportunities, put together teams, and then build um, technology solutions around them. Um, but personally, I'm a, a, a pastor, a dad, and to a seven-month-old beautiful girl and um, amazing wife. <laughs> who is, who is also a part of our um, conversation yes, today. <laughs> yes, yes, behind me. So you might hear a voice. She's our guest. Yeah, we're ready for yeah. her to jump We're in. ready, yes. Yeah. And then um, I run a few number of companies. The main companies being Asoriba and Grow For Me. Grow For Me is the main focus um, for this interview. It's an agri-tech platform that allows um, anyone who... Um, has a passion to be in agriculture but does not have the time and the skill um, to do so to basically farm with us um, simply put you pick a, a crop you want to grow and you look at the cost the unit economics see the profit margins which you revenue share with the farmer and ourselves and then you can basically say okay i want to do an acre of maize or an acre of, 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 of pineapple and then we take the money to a farmer who is already growing and wants to grow more and helping expand his farm to produce more. On harvest, you can take the crops or you can take uh, the principal plus 50% of the profits and 35% goes to the farmer and 15% goes to us. The principal goes to him to do the farming, so he expands his farm. And we're excited about the project um, and it's going to, I believe, you know, be one of those critical things going forward because of the way uh, the coronavirus has redefined life people will literally be able to farm without necessarily on the farm. But on the other side, I run a FinTech, my business pay and my church pay for payment processing in Ghana for businesses and churches. And I run a story about my co-founders for church management and membership engagement. So quite a handful, but just the, the real focus for me now is go for me and then I story about. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. So yeah, I guess, uh, like agriculture is something that's like relatively uh, lower entry. Um, so were you previously involved in agriculture? Or, uh, what exactly like sparked you to go into this venture? Yeah, or so how do you know, think technology like, yeah. can empower like this industry that has been there forever? Uh, but what, what role do you think tech would play uh, in the development of agriculture? Yes, yeah, so... Just to my background, I did engineering MPhil machine systems for 
my bachelor's and my, my master's. So I'm primarily trained to be um, an agric engineer and, and someone who works with plant machinery. But then I also have tech skills, so build tech companies. And I've come to see real hand up from the power of technology in communities, organized communities. Because, I mean, we worked with churches for a while and I saw the impact of our solution had. So uh, I realized that if our technology could help churches become more effective and grow and engage more and raise more funds to do the good in the society, then technology should, of course, help the agri scene. So I went in to understand what the problems were and we realized that farmers need primarily more funds to grow and expand their farms. They need more farms to be able to bring in more younger people because the farming industry is aging. Many of the old people are, are the ones running now, most of the young people are like because there's not a lot of financing. And also they have a big issue with off-takers. They don't have someone to pick up the crop the moment um, they, are, they, they are ripe and they are harvested. So these problems really got my attention. And then we decided to focus on that. We also realized that there are people out there who want to basically farm, but they don't have the time, they don't have the skill, but they have the money. And people who actually need the harvest and the produce, but they don't know how to find the right farmers who are producing them. So our platform basically is that connecting point, which brings the funds in, helps the farm to farm, buys the harvest, sell it to the off-takers, and revenue share the profit with the, with the sponsor and the farmer. And this is the, the impact of this is that we're going to have um, financing for farmers to grow more, employ more, and feed more people. I mean, the population of Africa alone is going to double like to about like a huge figure, about 2 billion by 2050. And we need to be able to feed um, and you know, people um, at scale. And that requires that more funding must go into agriculture. But because many people place agriculture at the lowest bottom, they don't, they don't even think about it. They don't think about where their food is coming from. They don't even think of the fact about where money needs to go into that industry. So we believe with our platform, we can have people like maybe you, Heather, and Joanne from China having a farm in, in, in Ghana, somewhere in the Eastern region, growing pineapple. That's the power of the technology and that we're doing. And I think that's amazing. Uh, yeah, that sounds definitely really amazing. Like uh, that we can work across uh, the like physical boundaries and yeah, like to be able to run a farm far away from you, uh, but using their resources uh, to feed into like a different part of the world. I think that's really fascinating. Um, so how, how do you think, uh, so currently are you mostly focusing on like producing the crops uh, that's mainly for African market or do you see that as a future can be exported as well? No, we are focused on, on, on both local and international market. Before then, I wanted to add to it that what the key thing we do, which really makes it stand out that, let's say, Heather, you are, you sponsored a thousand dollar worth of pineapples in, in Ghana. You get to see images of how the farm is performing weekly from the dashboard we provide you. So you log in and say, okay, oh, land preparation has happened. Now the crowns have been acquired. You see pictures of the crowns being planted. So you have weekly picture updates and we were just like working on mm. getting um, 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 spatial imagery from Airbus as a program for startups. And hopefully that would help us to use spatial images to show you from a very high level how the whole you know landscape is working. So just that's in terms of monitoring what's really happening when you sponsor farms. But yes, we are open to both products internally, locally, and internationally. Um, internationally to increase the profit margins, locally to make sure that the food need and the food requirements are met locally. 
So for us, we kind of have a diverse team that is multinational, Indian and UK citizen and Ghanaians. And we're always looking for people who are passionate about culture across the world to basically sponsor farms um, here in Ghana and make a decent, um, you know, impact and profit at the same time. Uh, yeah, so it's basically like uh, like adopting a farm or like investing in a farm. Um, yeah, like to have more involvement in in Africa. I think that's really cool. And especially, yeah, if you can get regular updates. Um, yeah, so you can feel like more involved in the whole process. Uh, so like have multiple people adopt the same farm or it's a solely like one person like have the whole ownership of a farm? No, so it could be multiple people, it could be one person. So let's say, for example, um, a farmer in 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 the Eastern region is doing pineapples. So he's currently doing 20 acres, but he wants to step it up to, to, to another 40 acres okay, in total. And that means that there's 40, extra 20 acres for people to sponsor. So there could be about five people who are doing $4,000 each per, a, per acre, who are doing $1,000 each per acre. So it ends up to 4000 for the whole you know, um, 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 20,000 for the whole 20 extra acres. So you can have uh, maybe 20 people doing a thousand each or four people doing 5,000 each. It really depends on how the, the, the number of sponsors that want to come into the, into, the, into the opportunity and sponsor a farm. So there's no one answer, like one person should do it all or a group of people. It really depends on where the interest lies, the sponsoring capacity of the sponsors, and that determines that is that varies based on the crop and then the season. So, very basically, it's to, you can do if you want to do the whole twenty acres. In that example, you can. If you want to do a portion of it, it's available to pick. Mm. Mm, okay, cool. That makes sense. It's quite creative approach. Um, yeah, Joanne, do you have any other questions about their product? I'm, I'm really curious about this business model. Is it very popular in Ghana, um, Nana? Yeah, so crowdfunding actually existed already in time past. It was called Ebunu and Ebusa in the local language, where of course, what yeah, people yeah. used to do was to give, come again? No, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have something similar in the Caribbean. We call it Susu. Oh, okay. We call it Susu. Oh, okay. <laughs> and other names. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> wow, interesting. They used to give land to a farmer so I have land, you're a farmer, I give you my land and then you farm and you give me one third and you take the rest of the two thirds. Mm. That's how it used to be with land. But this time, the issue really is not land, it's funding to financing to really do the farm on, at scale. Mm. So the sponsor brings his money and the farmer brings his land and it's scale and basically they grow more and the farmer gets a percentage of profits, the sponsor gets a percentage. And Go For Me, which is a platform that connects the crowdfunding, basically mm -hmm. gets a percentage of the profit. So it's not necessarily investing in a farm for equity. It's basically mm -hmm. investing for a harvest for right. a particular crop season. So we have short-term um, sponsorship. We have medium-term and long-term. If it's long-term, you're looking at things like cashew, cocoa, and so on. I know there's, there's, a, there's a Ghana cocoa chocolate in, in China. It's very popular. Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. tomorrow somebody okay. wants to do or sponsor maybe an acre of cocoa and farm that would take about five years then you could do that because then now we have a platform where you can monitor the progress of the farm yeah 
So you've just taken something that's traditional in your country and given it a, a, a modern twist with the technology and of course calling it crowdfunding. But um, I'm really curious about the farmers. Can you tell us more about your farmers? Because I know in Africa and throughout much of the developing world, most of the farmers tend to be women, right? So is it mostly women farmers or is it collectives? How, how, how does that side of the business work? Yeah, so the farmers in Ghana is a mix of both male and female. Oh, okay. Typically, you have, you have large farmers, and you have small outgrower farmers, okay? So outgrower farmers contribute to the large farmer and bring and um, produce to the large farmer to add up to his harvest. So you have a big farmer surrounded by a number of outgrowers. So what happens is that, what happens is that when um, the male or the female farmer has a plot of land, there could be a whole community, each of them having plots of land where they farm together. And sorry about that, Kimmy. That's okay. That. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> She's our so, guest. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So they all have, you take a community and the land looks vast, but it's divided among families and everybody has a portion of the plot to farm, okay? And collectively, they may all do, let's say, sorghum. So on harvest, the whole community harvests it and you buy the whole sorghum. But this time, what we do is to find a big farmer who has outgrower farmers around him or this community of farmers. So we do the deal with the farmer and then enable the farmer with a large I mean, farm and have proven success over a period of time. And then he then gets the outgrowers involved to grow to the capacity that he wants, that he's been sponsored for. So if he was doing 20 acres, his extra 20 acres would be something he would do with the outgrowers in that community. That, that way, the funds go all the way to the very bottom of the pyramid for them to go. And typically, it's both male and female farming here in Ghana. You okay. have a, yeah, you have a very fine mix of them. Oh, interesting. Because I know in many countries, the, the, a lot of the farming seems to be done by women. So that's, that's different. That's unique. That's something I didn't know. Mm, okay, cool. And also, like, I was curious, because, like, usually in China, for example, like, there are a lot of campaigns helping farmers if they like have some oversupplies of certain things uh like there are a lot of campaigns like helping them sell the products online uh so like for you uh so since you mostly work on like helping them finding like founts for their farm uh then what what happens afterwards after they make the production uh is there any other assistance in helping them finding like the right market to put these products to uh, were other kind of support uh, afterwards? Yeah, so remember, we sponsor them to grow and we buy the produce on harvest. Right, you also buy them. Uh, and yeah, where so, do you sell them? So we primarily sell them on the commodity exchange or on the open market. So there's a Ghana commodity exchange that allows you to basically um, sell produce there. And there's also the open market where people go to buy produce from. So the open market is where you go and then people make a deal. But now with, with, um, with, with the coronavirus spreading, many people will want to you know, go to a single place and buy and then have it shipped from a warehouse straight to them because they will not probably be comfortable. I mean, based on social distance, we will engage with people directly. So our platform is quite tiny and will help and basically scale the sale. And also the next thing about the community exchange in Canada, because it's a national platform, it has a credibility and ensures the quality and the standards are met. So we buy it um, 
and then list with the community exchange or sell on the open market, which is currently not the best because um, of the lockdown that we're having. Right. Mm. Yeah. Do you also see that there, there will be like an opportunity for an e-commerce platform? Yes. I mean, so the e-commerce or basically a, a retail platform exists in many places, um, you know, for people to buy stuff as individuals. Um, but basically, these exist already, like the farmer market and farmer market. But what we do is sell at very large volumes. So we typically tend to sell to the um, to people who are off taking in large quantities. So that could be the a shop rider wants probably, or it could be somebody who has a number of outlets and wants to buy. So um, for the e-commerce platform, where you as an individual will go buy a couple number of companies like that, where you can just go and say, I want maybe one one tube of yam, one two balls of um, of cabbage. Um, and 20 fingers of pepper and so on and so forth. But because we deal directly with the farmer and with large off-takers, we tend to sell in large quantities. Mm. Okay, cool. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, also, okay, cool. So yeah, so like about more about you as an entrepreneur, like on your LinkedIn, I, I saw that you have uh, went through a few like a fellowship program for entrepreneurs. Uh, so yeah, so maybe tell us more about like how, how you got started in your entrepreneurship journey or like the resources that you found uh, available or supportive for entrepreneurs like you to uh, turn an idea into a reality. For example, like Matt Water Entrepreneurial School of Technology and the Mandela Washington Fellowship. Uh, so maybe tell us more about your experiences there. Yes, so the first I'll start with Meltwater. So I joined Meltwater whilst I was doing my master's in agric engineering, and that's where I got my tech skills. So there you learn how to build businesses, technology businesses, write software. And thanks to your listenings and its investment into Meltwater, I was able to be open to the tech space, which initially I had very limited visibility to. Basically, the closest I was doing with software was using computer aided design software to build machine parts. But then in Meltwater, I learned how to write code. I understood what it took to build a tech company, whether e-commerce or a CRM or a payment platform. I, I had a clear understanding of it. So from Meltwater, we started um, Asoriba with four other co three other co-founders. And Asoriba has become like the household name for anything church management and church payment related in Ghana and some other African countries. Now, from there, I, I, I always had a desire to use my skill sets in agriculture to do something in the industry. And uh, something had happened right after school. My wife now and I, and that's my, she was my fiancé back then, but now my wife, we spent all our savings and gave it to, in quotes, a farmer to farm on our behalf. And the guy literally squandered all the money where he, he had little to show for it. Oh boy. And I was like, this is a problem. And for every problem, mm-hmm. being a, a CR executive, you want to solve it. I was like, okay. Look, it's time I solve this for myself because if I've lost all my savings with my wife, then um, somebody might also have equally been losing his or her savings. We dug into the problem and we realized that, yes, it's, it's, it's a big problem. So five, four years into Grow For Me, into, sorry, but I started another team and built Grow For Me with my other co-founders. So Meltwater um, gave us the foundation to basically identify problems, build technology, and build businesses around them. 
Then last year, I was in the Mandela Washington Fellowship, um, just when I started Grow For Me. And in that fellowship, the idea was to really build us into global leaders and have given us a, a global perspective into world problems rather than very localized or local perspectives. So six weeks in the U.S. at Clark Atlanta University with amazing 32 other amazing African um, entrepreneurs from across Africa. And not only did we get to learn from each other, but we got to, I personally got to understand the power of volunteerism and how volunteering could solve many problems in our continent and how as business people, we are the change makers, we are the change agents. What we do as entrepreneurs is so critical to any economy. I mean, we shape economies and I didn't really appreciate the extent to which the value of the work we do could impact our country. So I came back really more refined, more, more purposeful to make sure some of these platforms we're building succeeds and scale. And it also gave me a very Pan-African perspective because now, because our friends across Africa, I don't just look at building a business that can succeed in Ghana. I'm looking at a business that can work in Lesotho, Rwanda, and, and Uganda, because I have friends all over, I mean, Zimbabwe. It's just a call away to say, hey, and maybe to just say, hey, I have a business coming in, and Alex, I want to bring it to Rwanda. I want to come crash to your place for a weekend and, and, and do business development. It's quite easy now because of the power that fellowship and the network provides us. So, um, yeah, in summary, that has these two um, experiences, the fellowship and the um, entrepreneurial school messed, really has shaped me. And now I'm very excited that I'm going back into that culture space to make a difference. Um, yeah, that sounds like, yeah, very, very cool experiences, especially if you can, you get to learn the technology to have the necessary skills and also to have this network of a global network and also uh, like Pan-African network where you can uh, try to explore how to use your model and how it works in a different market. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. So how do you, how do you see this uh, grow for Africa expand in other parts of uh, region, other other countries. Have you started? Uh, yeah, have you started any steps towards expansion, or you're mostly just focusing on uh, maturing it in Ghana right now? Yeah. So right now, the growth for me basically itself is a technology platform, and that has a set of operational perspectives to it. So now we are actually finalizing it and, and, and fine-tuning it, fine it in Ghana. And just a key things to, to point out why it's critical we, we, we successfully fine-tune it in Ghana before we scale. And the reason is simple. The, free continental, the African Free Continental Trade Agreement was signed and the other office is in Ghana, okay? It's in the same building that the Ghana Community Exchange sits in. And that's where the trading platform sits in. So basically being able to build a platform that funds farmers, allows them to scale and grow and then sell the, and the commodity exchange. It's preparing ourselves for a Pan-African move, which is growing as the as business and commerce within Africa is being strengthened and being tightened. That way we can do more business amongst each other. And being in Ghana gives us that opportunity or that, um, you know, that, that added advantage to build an application that can scale easily. Because most countries that don't have a commodity exchange will literally want to adopt Ghana's commodity exchange for their own you know, exchange. And, and I think we are strategically placed to be that partner to the exchange to fund the farmers who need money to be able to grow more and then offtake it and retail it on the, on the, on the exchange. Okay, cool. Uh, and I know...
feel like uh, Joanne and I were like, both, we were having a lot of discussions about uh, like investment and founding with other entrepreneurs. Uh, so like, so in your case, um, like through the programs that you participated, maybe you had some like resources to seek founding uh, initially. Uh, like, do you have any other insights that you can offer, like uh, how generally uh, ent entre entrepreneurs can approach like in seeking investment uh, when they're in early stage or specifically for like Ghana or Africa? Uh, like what are some effective uh, strategies or things that that worked for you? Yes, uh, one of the key strategies is really networking. Raising investments requires a very good network of investors. Luckily in Ghana, GIZ has published a book that um, has a list of all potential investors in. But it's really not about having a list. It's for to raise investment in Ghana, it's, or in Africa, um, and I'm saying Africa because we raised funding from South Africa whilst building a soil bar and the main church, and our first church management software application. You're required to ha you are required to have a very um, thorough walkthrough of your business. You must be able to show scale. You must be able to show that you understand what you are doing and you have traction. Traction is key. I mean, I mean, there's there's no there's not much dollars to to do testing around with in Africa. You, investors don't invest for you to test and see if your business works. Most, I mean, African investors investing because you are doing very well and they want to help you grow. Not to um, not to do seed funding. We, it's very difficult to raise seed funding in this part of um, in Ghana, particularly. But what you can do is really to let your customers fund your product development. And how you do that is by saying, if you have customers who say, "Hey, I want this. Okay, I want this to be. I want to be able to do that." Simply go like, "Okay, hey, if you don't want it that bad, maybe this is the cost. Pay for it, and then we'll build it into it." So once they pay for it, that money becomes your running capital to operate the business and continue to add value to the solution. That's one of the easiest ways to raise funding for your business by you know, making your customers your investors, by letting them pay for functionality that they want to see. And the next thing is really being part of the community, being part of a tech community and validate your business, your identity, your, and gives you social credibility. Um, personally, I benefited significantly from the young tech community in Ghana. I did a lot of pitches at many places. What helped us in getting customers for our business and also raising funds. And finally, you really have to get your basics right, like have a financial model, have a, a pitch deck, um, have a bank account that shows evidence of, of, of income and money coming in and going out. And have very good customers who are happy about your product and who are willing to talk to investors about how big your product is. And these are critical steps you need. But um, for those who are in countries that have accelerators or, or incubators, I will encourage you to be part of these organizations because they tend to have access to a lot of information and investors, and that becomes a lot of a, a main contact point. And I think um, just this year, when Jack Ma came to Ghana, the, well, last year, sorry, there was quite a lot of hype. A lot of um, Chinese investors came into the country, talked to a number of startups, wanted to see the opportunities in the country and the continent. And it's a good start. I, I'm not too sure if any deal has been made from much of those visits, but I think that. The next step is to make sure some of these connections become a real, turn into real deals. So that's how I'll just summarize and say to raise funding as a startup in Africa. Wow, that's very, very insightful. I really liked your point about turning your customers into investors, because like that's validating the business model, and at the same time, you you have the initial funding you need to continue working on and 
like polishing the the system itself. Uh, so that's that's very cool, and also definitely getting involved in uh, the local networks and finding support there. Uh, okay, cool. And it's uh, also so since you mentioned about Jack Ma and. So there was like a wave of Chinese investors going into African countries to do their field research or looking out for opportunities. Uh, like, so like, what do you think are like maybe some of the steps uh, necessary uh, in order to secure these deals? I don't know if you have personally interacted with uh, the Chinese investors who was there, uh, what were like some of their common questions or like barriers for them to make a step? Uh, yeah, like what's your general observations? Yeah, so um, my, my other company, sorry about uh, engaging some of the investors, my co-founder, Sylvia, was on the fellowship, was in China for I think a number of weeks for the fellowship at Alibaba. Um, and he had engaged extensively with the, some of these investors. I think the general feedback he gave was, um, a lot of the investors were not too sure about our market. They didn't really have a clear understanding. Um, understanding not as an explanation, but they couldn't really find out how business sometimes gets done here. Things sometimes tend not to be very direct and obvious, like it may be in Europe, or like you run a couple of Google ads or social media ads and you get customers, you can pay customers and so on and so forth. Things here have to do a lot of face-to-face, -face, you know, direct meetings before people kind of like want to give you the hard-earned money. So um, it became a bit a bit problem, problematic. And sometimes in these markets too, you know, scaling doesn't happen overnight. It takes, you don't build an application in over a year or two, you are scaled to like maybe a, a 600,000 or 1 million customers. It doesn't happen that way. It really takes a while. People are people really are careful in spending their, the few dollars they have. So you need to be in for the long haul to see the kind of results you want. So if most investors come in hoping to see a certain JK, but it's, you need patient capital to, to do business in Africa or Ghana for that matter. You need to be patient enough for the business to take roots, gain trust from customers and have the adaptation you want. Take MTM mobile money, for example, that is currently one of the most used payment channel. It, it took 10 years to hit the kind of skill that it, it was looking for. I mean, consistently pushing marketing dollars and consistently pushing the product on there till it came to a point that it became ubiquitous to the, the term mobile money. MTM mobile money is now like a mobile money. So that you need that kind of patient capital. And I think um, my, the feedback from my co-founder, like um, they needed to be educated more. They needed to you know, understand more the, the, the setting, the Ghanaian setting, how business is done in Africa and why they need to be patient with the kind of returns they want they should take takes relatively a little bit longer time than most most would if you were investing in maybe an European or a US or an Asian company. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. There needs to be like uh, the patience and educating the market. Uh, it will take time and it's more like a long-term long -term investment for sure. Uh, Joanne, do you have any other questions regarding investment or just anything else in general? I was really curious to um because I to mention not curious I wanted to mention that Nana also has Business Pay that's your business as well Nana which is a payment company and yes. would you like to just tell us a few a few yes. words about that because and then I'm fascinated by Azorb 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 by yes. the way I'm fascinated I'm sorry about it yes sir but yes. but I'll tell you I'll tell you why after <laughs> tell me tell me no I mean I. I just had no idea. I mean, 
I'm just stupid, I guess. This church solutions. This you is amazing. This is a whole <laughs> business based on church solutions. When I saw, when you told us about this and I started doing the research, I thought to myself, but of course churches need administration. But it's not something that I guess I think about, you know? So I was really fascinated by it. It's amazing. It's brilliant. I like yeah, it. it is. So yeah. just start by talking about it. Sorry, about. Okay, so there are half a billion African Christians on the continent, okay? Wow. One of the things, so maybe on, on a weekend, on a Saturday, probably maybe, I'm not too sure how it is in China, but maybe on a Sunday, most people may be at home with their family. But here in Ghana, in Nigeria, <laughs> the holiday will be at churches. In Ghana, in Nigeria, in the big economies, on a Sunday, everybody goes to church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, until the recent lockdown, um, on Sunday, most people, like, 70% of the people will be going to church, mm. have a service and come back home on a Sunday. Mm. So church is a very big thing. It's like, maybe if, uh, maybe, uh, I'm not too sure once again, maybe a lot of people may spend a Friday night on a club in, in, in China and, and have a good time. <laughs> Most people on Sunday want to go to church and have a great time worshiping <laughs> God with their, with their fellow um, church members. Yeah. Now, when you have a large number of people, and there's one church in Nigeria that handles about 1 million people, in a, in, a, in a service, in a camp. When you have such large numbers, you have a lot of administrative challenges. And, mm. and that's where our solution comes to help them collect membership data and basically engage them via web, mobile, SMS, and, and voice. So our tool helps them to collect the data of their members, categorize them based on age, segment them, help them to do things as big as, oh, send an automatic happy birthday when the birthday of the member, have a, a record of all the tights that is given to the church, so that when a member wants to see his tie records, he can easily see his tie records and stuff like that. Like another key thing was that a lot of donations was happening donations via cash. You know, the advance from the bank account carried this cash and takes it back to the bank for that Sunday. Um, that was a big problem. So basically, we had the solution that could allow members to make their donations digitally to their church from their mobile phones without having to carry, without the need to carry cash. And then we had to really push a solution. I mean, because the value was like, oh, we're okay with cash. But now Corona hits and everybody is like, hey, guys, we need your solution now. We need it now because now we're not going to be physically together. We, we want to do donations digitally. And why is the donations to the church critical? You see, a lot of, in a lot of African states, the church plays the role, the role of many failed state institutions. It builds the schools, takes care of the hungry, pays the mm -hmm. bills for many people, puts a lot of people through school. A lot of the best schools in Ghana were church built by churches so you understand that the church is not just a place for worship it's a community that protects gathers teaches and trains and shapes and helps the community significantly mm. um so our platform helped them to raise more funds and do more good in the society and also help the members to have a history of their transactions and they can easily know how much they are giving get reminders to do your sites sites are like 10 percent of your monthly income you give to god through the church and now we can help the members do that conveniently. And now the bank, the church doesn't need to count money because the money goes directly into the bank account of the church through the payment platform and integrations with the banks. And this has been very phenomenal because it makes life very easy for the members and for the church administration. For those who go ahead to do cash or checks or bank transfer, they're able to still record that into the administrator or the financial accountant is able to record that into the CRM or the tool. And then he gets a clear picture of how the church is performing financially, where most money is coming from. And it's just an amazing tool um, to use that for any church um, um, in Africa. 
So that's our server. The part that I like most is the CRM, the social, the, sorry, the mobile app, the social bit. It's a mobile app that allows me to connect within the community. So you can just download the app, visit another church on the app, and connect with someone and begin to chat and hear their sermon. So it's kind of like your social network for churches, and it's pretty much the very cool thing. So our product is basically management software and then the payment platform. The payment platform is mychurchpay.com and the mm. management software is ascriber.com. Now to my business page. So mm-hmm. whilst we're doing business, a lot of customers from out of Ghana wanted to sign up, like in, Jam- in Jamaica, in Nigeria, in South Africa. And we literally didn't have an easy way to receive payments for the service. So we built my business pay for businesses that wanted to receive payments from their customers anywhere in the world. So mm-hmm. my business page is primarily a business payment platform for businesses to receive payments. PayPal doesn't work in Ghana. Um, Ghana and Nigeria were often labeled as hotspots of, for fraud. So there was a big issue for them. And some payment platforms are a bit scared to be in the side of the market. But being Ghanaian and understanding how to put in the right security measures, we built a platform that ensures that businesses are safe from chargeback because a fraudster can't use a stolen card to make payments to you because of the underlying security layers that we place into it, like 3D Secure and so on and so forth. So our payment platform is very simple. It makes it easy for any SME to get online and receive payments with a click or with a link. And they can receive money both in cards and in mobile money. So that's my business pay on the other hand. Incredible. And I like that it was it was created out of necessity. And yep. that's that's really, really, really how a lot of businesses emerge anyway. But um I think this I what I find really um I guess astounding about everything that you do is that it's all so different. All of your work is so varied. You're in agrotech, you're in, you know, church, sort of church management, database, CRM, and then you're also doing e-wallets and payments. So that's, that's really great. A lot of diversity, but it's, it's all connected because it's all, it's all using technology, but just in different industries. Exactly. Yeah. And, the truth is, and very I community work a lot. focused. Pardon? What was that? Oh, I, I just said like, it's very community focused. Everything that you do is like empowering the community, which is really great. Yeah. And what That's were you saying, I Nana? Put it, I think you, you just captured it the best way, um, Heather. Mm. Uh, growing up in Ghana, you grow up in the community and you have this community sense. So mm. everything I kind of do has a community perspective to it because, you know, in Ghana or in Africa, it takes a village to raise a child. It doesn't take an individual father, mother, and children. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite different here. You need a community to help you raise your family. So I grew up with a family, not just my father, my mother, but my cousins and the neighbors, you know, relatives. And you have a very dis- different perspective to life. You want to make things that works for many people. Mm-hmm. So um, in building solutions, you think beyond yourself. You think about, okay, can my uncle use it? Can my neighbor use it? Can my cousin? Would the guy on the street ahead of me benefit? Because, you know, if I have this challenge, he has the same thing. And that's, that's typically the approach that I have. And final thing is that I work with teams a lot. I don't kind of like do everything on my, I'm not Superman. Mm-hmm. So every business I have has a solid team in place or that I co-founded has a solid team in place. And I, I kind of like work in a very, in, in some of them strategic level, in some of them, you know, very, very tactical level and get involved in the day to day. And once again, 
there's a huge opportunity in the next 10 years, the kind of businesses that we've started, if we get the right investments and sustain them, will become the next biggest platforms in Africa. You know, it takes a while to grow, but with consistency, they become the go-to platforms for the specific things that they provide. Great. Well, Nana, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. It was really, really good to have you as our bonus guest. I think you are the perfect wrap-up because you do everything. You're a renaissance man. You're a dad and a husband, <laughs> and a serial entrepreneur. I mean, look at you. You're being interviewed with your baby on your lap. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> So it but it's really, difficult. It's so difficult, trust me. But you have a family, like you said, a community. So yes. you don't do anything yes. alone, right? So yes, my <laughs> mom, yeah. helps the baby and all that. So you're right, but it's still tough. <laughs> so we like to leave our guests with some encouraging words. Do you have any final bits you'd like to share with us? And especially since this is the final episode where we were looking to really um engage with different entrepreneurs and share stories and you know heather and i heather you want to add a little bit more about about the the drive behind this collaboration so that nana can give us some really positive and inspiring final words uh well yeah i mean we just started this series because we we realized that there were a lot of people like hustling and uh, and also, like, we wanted to connect with entrepreneurs in Africa, even though we can't be physically there. But we thought, like, by offering this opportunity for people to, to speak about their experiences, to share, uh, like, it could attract, like, what, whatever resources that they may need to grow their startup to the next stage, or just to share among the peers and uh, to exchange in insights. Uh, so, yeah, like, just um, anything you wanted to encourage fellow entrepreneurs or like anything that you think would be helpful for your startup to go on the next stage. So maybe some of our listeners would be happy to like even sign up to be a customer. <laughs> so yeah, just anything that comes to mind you can share with us. Yeah, so I want to speak to customers, entrepreneurs and investors. I'm going to just speak to these two quickly. Mm. For customers, I mean, you should try out our solutions. Whatever entrepreneur you've listened to, try out his solution. Give him a chance. It's, it's, it's in that using the solution that our solutions get better and get global. That's my first feedback. And, and, and there's really nothing like um, what we build is world class. It works everywhere, just like you would use something built in the US. What we built here in Ghana or in Nigeria equally works. So they're not substandard there. And, and, and I don't want to encourage you to buy into any kind of idea that things that are made here are not equal quality. They are, they compete on a global scale. Mm. So just give it a try. To entrepreneurs, it's a hard journey. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough and it's not going to get easier, but you must just always keep looking at the picture and the thing that you had in your mind and the drive that you saw when you were starting your business. Sorry, there goes my daughter again. You have to keep in mind where you want to get to. Yeah. When, when you have that in mind all the time, you know, it re reminds you of why you started. If you keep remembering why you started, it gives you the energy to continue to pursue that journey. And, and when you do get to the top, or if you're at the top, stretch out your hands and pull up the next entrepreneur to also equally cross over. 
and to investors, Africa requires patience capital. It's it's not if you're looking for uh, within one year, make it 20, 10, 20 or thirty percent on the money within one year. Sorry, this is not a market for you. Mm. However, the market is huge, and your returns can be very large by the scale and the sheer size of the continent and the number of young people that are born there. If you are thinking 20, 30 years from now and you want to make a strategic investment, this is the place you want to put your money because this is where the most users are going to be soon. This is where most people are going to adapt whatever solution or product that's out there. So you want to really think Africa first when you're doing anything investment related. And remember, investments would require to be patient to see the kind of results that you want. And finally, African businesses and African entrepreneurs are global. They think very global and they want that opportunity to also contribute to the world. Thank you. Thank Perfect. you. That was awesome. Yes. Perfect ending. Okay, Nana, we're going to let you go now back to your dad duties. We're so sorry we had to interrupt you for a little. Tell your dad <laughs> what we said. Nana is saying hi to you guys. Hi. <laughs> Tell her thank you. for. Sorry for taking dad away. Is her, is her name also uh, Nana? <laughs> no, she has double, uh, double A, N-A-A-N-A, -A -A -A, Nana. Okay. That's a lady's uh, name. Right, right, right. Oh, okay. Because I, I forgot to tell you, my Ghanaian name is also Nana. <laughs> my friend wow. gave me that name. I saw, I saw your <laughs> my friend. name is like Nana Esti. <laughs> Nana Esti, wow. I saw your Kente and I was like, is the Kente you are wearing? <laughs> yeah, I'm always very proud to represent. <laughs> and I love, I love Ghana, so hopefully I can visit soon. And adopt my pineapple farm there. <laughs> yeah, boy. I hope to visit soon and uh, adopt my pineapple farm in Ghana. Through your platform. That'll be cool. Nana is half Ghanaian, half Chinese. Sometimes Ghanaian, sometimes. Really? Oh, I'm the same. Oh, wait, is that me or is that the other one? I don't know. See, she doesn't know. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. Nana, we'll let you go now. Bye for now. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.